0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host, Nick Palato. We are days away from the Super Bowl. Nick is over there in sunny Arizona. I'm over here in cold, cold New Jersey. A little disappointed I'm not over there in Arizona as I see some uh, people from around the industry. And uh, let's just say, uh, I don't want to go too hard on this, but lesser brand name companies over there down at the Super Bowl. So I was hoping I'd get my trip (laughs) over there, but I didn't. And that's okay. Maybe next time CBS hosts the Super Bowl, I'll be there. And that should be the case. But I wanted to go to Arizona because Arizona's fun. I could have visited Nick. Could have got out of this weather. Could have done some hikes, some golf. So eh, next time. But we're days away. We were thinking last year, we did some content around the Super Bowl, like predictions and um, I think free agents from the players, uh, from the teams in the game. Maybe we'll wrap up this show, which is the prediction for the Super Bowl, if anyone's interested in that from each of us and go from there. But it's the heavy, heavy, heavy time of the offseason. I call it the heavy time of the offseason because it's maybe more like the dead time of the offseason, right after the Super Bowl, before the combine, before free agency. So we're gonna hit some giant specific content. Today is going to be our second half of the rookie 2022 class recap. We're gonna we started with the big three. That was Shane's top three picks in the uh, three picks in the top fifty. Wondell Robinson, Evan Neal, and Kayvon Thibodeau. Today we're gonna do the rest. Uh, later. Next week, we're going to start to dive into some of the Giants' own free agents. We're going to do an in-depth breakdown. The four, the pros and cons, the in-depth definitive case for or against re-signing Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. We're going to look at both sides of it as objectively as we can, present the cases for and against both. And then we're going to move on from there and let you guys decide where to go from there. I know a lot of you have already made your decision, but hopefully for those on the fence, we can give you a clearer picture. But without further ado, Nick. Let's dive into the rest of this 2022 rookie class. Starting with a player the Giants selected right after Wandell Robinson, a number 67 overall in the third round, who I think both of us, and I don't want to speak for you, but probably going to be highest on of the rest of this class, and that's Josh Azudu, the guard. So where do you want to start there with Azudu? I have made it clear, and I'll reiterate, he is my favorite player by far from this rookie class moving forward from the next three, uh, from the rest of the class, I should say, after the top three picks, I want to get your takes on the rest of this class, but let's start with Azudu.
2: Yeah. Joshua Azudu and Cordell Flott, I feel like are both high upside type players. And that's what it apparently seems like Joe Shane is really interested in bringing into here guys who are either young or have really good athletic profiles in terms of the offensive line. You look at Joshua Azudu, man, he can scoot. He gets up to the second level. He can scoot. And another thing about him that I absolutely love and adore is his ability to just end defenders lives with his hands. Once he fits his hands inside, you don't see many defenders get away. They're like vice grips. And I think when you look at some of the, I think, struggles that he had during his rookie season, he only played 290 snaps, ended up getting injured. A lot of it was mental. And I think that can progress because reportedly this guy is a really good head on his shoulders, smart kid, all of that. So I'm looking at Josh Azudu as a possible building block moving forward. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't invest in this offensive line, though. Because look, Azudu is somebody who can play multiple positions. Remember, this guy was the left tackle for Andrew Thomas when he was not in training camp. He was that left tackle that assumed that role. And we know he played tackle at UNC. I ideally think he would be best at guard. I love to just think about him in the power gap system as the backside pulling Guard kicking out the end man on the line of scrimmage or pulling up to the second level to locate because he has that type of athletic ability where he can really operate well in space. But I remain high on that. Now, I think those mental errors need to be ironed out. I don't think he's a fully polished product. I still think there are plays that were on his film that you're like, oh damn it, man. I want to see a little bit more consistency because the highlights then were high. Like, think about it, man. That one play against Tennessee, the one touchdown where he took a defender, lifted him up, and then just planted him in the deck, I said that if that was at giant stadium, that player, that defender would have been just sleeping right next to Jimmy Hoffa, bro, the old Giants, because he just buried that dude into the ground. And there were several plays throughout early on in the season before he got injured where they were like, damn, man, look at that. That's a lot of plays. plays. Now, if you can get that at a consistent level out of Joshua Zudu, that is not just a home run. That is a grand slam of a draft pick. But what's the likelihood, do you think, Dan, of that being a consistent (laughs) part of his
1: game I'm not 100% certain yeah there's a lot of good things to touch on that you brought up there and I'll start with unpacking the first is there was a play for me I think it was I'm pretty sure it was against the Jaguars it was in the red zone or it was just outside the red zone I think it was just like a G lead play and he pulled around and just located so fast at the second level that's what I wanted to see his ability to climb to the second level locate that defender take him out of the play and it created the hole for Saquon Barkley when it comes to Josh Azudu, obviously anyone who's followed this podcast long enough or follow my work on Twitter 24 seven long enough knows I'm very big on betting on traits. This is a bet on traits prospect. And I think those traits showed up early in his rookie season. And it's the combination of what Nick broke down. It's the combination of power at the point of contact. And I think a lot of that is what Nick said, just generated and driven through his hands and his grip strength. But also for me, It's the movement skills. I feel like with Josh Azudu, he's really quick and he's really fast as a mover and his feet. Most importantly for me, with offensive line, if you're asking me one trait that I want to see with every offensive lineman, it's quick feet. And he has the foot speed to get out there. And that combination of foot speed and power, these are traits that I didn't really realize the Giants were getting. Like 67 overall, to me, he has the traits of, I would say, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take on this. I think he has first round traits as an offensive guard. When you just think of his size, his build, and that combination of speed and power. What are your thoughts on that before I go any further? I don't think it's a bad take that he has
2: first round traits. But again, it has to be a consistency thing, right? Because if you go back to that Seattle game, he had a lot of one-on-one type of uh, situations where he was losing and he was just not. I feel like balanced and he's a typically a really balanced player, but he struggled to frame those blocks. And I felt like his hands were a little wild. I feel like the punch timing, the punch consistency, all of those things, they can be ironed out a little bit with Joshua Azudu. But if you want to talk about, okay, the traits that he has when they are maximized, are they first round? I do not think that's a ridiculous take because he is so damn light on his feet. And because his hands right.
1: are so effective when they land, but how consistently do they land is kind of the question. Right. And that's why I think early on so far and the traits, you know, the traits don't really define what he is right now, because like you said, he, if he was, a, if he was a more te- a better technician as a pass blocker, like you said, if the timing was more consistent, he would have been a first round player. He's not that he a well, first round draft pick. He's not that. And those players who are selected there, the Zion Johnson's of the world have like that really clean, consistent tape. And that's why they're there. But just tr- based on the traits, I see somebody who could get to potentially an even higher level than those types of players or at that same level because of, like you said, his quick feet, his ability to move in space and his power and his pop when he does time that thing right. And it's no surprise to me that he's already at this point a better run blocker than a pass blocker because that will translate. When you have those types of traits, they will translate faster in the run game, in my opinion, than the pass game. But I can only think about and compare him to the other rookie that we saw starting on the offensive line for a lot of games this year, Evan Neal. And the weird thing about it, Nick, is like from what I watched from both of those players, it almost feels like Neil has a longer way to go than Zudu, which is very odd.
2: Yeah, there's more of a sample size for sure as well with Evan Neal because he played more snaps than Josh Azudu, but... I think you might be right. Evan Neal does have kind of a long way to go. I think both of those players can improve going backwards. So essentially they can improve in pass protection because it's much easier to go forward and you're attacking. That's kind of the offensive mind mentality. You know, you want to attack, you want to run through the soul of the defender. That's run blocking, right? Pass blocking, you're going backwards. It's a little bit more passive. You're reacting to what the defender is doing, and I feel like both Azudo and Neil struggled doing that. Especially yep. Neil, it's a little bit harder playing tackle as well because you have to protect your outside shoulder. You open up too far, and then they go inside. That's something Neil struggled with. It's something Andrew Thomas struggled with. I I still hope and remain high on both players, but we're gonna have to see the development specifically with Neil on the outside.
1: Yeah, and on, Azud, on the, the Azudo front, it almost feels like to me, I. Th- thought the Giants got more out of the run game with a than Neil this year, to be completely honest. I was a little disappointed in Neil in the run game this year. I just felt like we were going to get a little bit more. It's not that I felt like we were going to get a little bit more out of him because I didn't love his run blocking profile coming out of Bama. But I just feel like after seeing a pick it up and be able to make some put on some reps on film where you're just like, holy crap reps. We didn't really get too many of those. Holy crap reps from Evan Neil in the run game.
2: Not too many. There were a couple really good combo blocks with Mark Lewinsky. Lewinsky. There was a couple down blocks where you could just see Evan Neal's power. And a down block means that means there's somebody who is going to be a defender aligned inside of Evan Neal. And he has, and all he does is he steps with his inside foot and he runs through that defender and he's blocking him down. Happens a lot on power gap concepts. So Saquon Barkley or the running back can run around his ass, right? So we saw those types of blocks, but those are easier Well, I would say easier executed blocks than say a base block, which is more straight up or a reach block where you're trying to get to the outside hip or the outside shoulder of a five technique or four technique, whatever it be, right? Right. And those are the blocks that I feel like Evan Neal really struggled with because he would always overextend. His feet would never kind of come with his chest. His chest and his arms were always ahead of his feet leaning, and then he would get put on the ground, which I think I agree with you though, man. I, I wanted a little bit more. I don't think it was terrible. From Evan Neal. I know this isn't about Evan Neal right now. I don't think it was terrible, the run blocking, but it was
1: definitely not the positive that I thought it was going to be when we drafted him out of Alabama. And I think that's a great way to describe it. Like those down blocks and it's, and these are tough, like any, all the other blocks that you just described, they're tougher blocks too, for a tackle, obviously. Um, and it's not like we're, we're not asking for the, it's not the easiest thing we're asking for. And even on the other side of the line where we have our best player, Andrew Thomas, let's be honest. Like I love Andrew Thomas. But his best blocks in the run game are also the down blocks. Like these are, this is probably the the best block for most tackles, right? Like it's not easy to see it. Ta- you don't really see a ta- too many tackles into. I know C- Penny Seal does Soul does it a lot for the Lions, but you don't see too many tackles like getting in space and like making plays on the perimeter and reaching all these things. These are not easy blocks to make. So it's not like. I want to crush Evan Neal for something like that. But at the same time, it's a first round tackle at seven overall. You want to see some of those splash plays, some of those like big time plays where you're like, all right, this is why he was taken yeah. at seven overall. Cause he's the type of player prospect who can do something like this. And at the same time, I honestly felt like the player referenced earlier with that play against the Jaguars and, and several other plays Azudo actually was doing things like that. You know, he's coming around in space. He's moving with his body. It, you know, his body's moving with him. It seems very like, congruent he's on he's on the move and then he reaches at the next level and he create and he climbs that second level and he takes a linebacker out of the play and I'm like that's the type of play I started plays I want to see from basically all the Giants rookie offensive linemen or at any point in the offensive linemen so I guess the question would then this is not an Evan Neal podcast but you mentioned earlier like Josh who does have at least the ability and he has practice even with the Giants at tackle I think that makes him an interesting player long term from the sense from the standpoint of you can kind of leave him on that offensive line, find a place for him. And even if you need to be in a pinch, moving someone over to tackle, he may be your guy that you can like. all right, well, we're really injured at tackle. Even our swing tackles hurt. This is like a mid season thing. Week 10, week 11, let's throw a Zudu out there that gives him more ability as well. In my opinion, as far as Zudu goes though, where do you stand on drafting over him in this class? In the sense that we both agree, you said it earlier, Nick. And so I want to make this clear to all the listeners. Nick and I both agree that unless you have like an Andrew Thomas on your offensive line or an Evan Neal where you invest like a top seven pick, we're good with just drafting at all. Just keep going on the offensive line. Worry about later what you have there. You have too much, great, great problem to have because there's injuries, because you need always need to move guys to different positions. You can train them in different positions. But don't worry about it. until your offensive line is elite, don't really worry about having too much or drafting over. Quite honestly, dude, even when you get to that point, I'm not so sure I'm against drafting again because look at what the Eagles did last draft. They were at the point of having an elite offensive line. They really could have been like, guys, we did it. We built the elite offensive line. That's it. Instead, they're like, guys, we have a 36-year-old dominant center in Jason Kelsey. Let's find his replacement now. A good, you know, we found a spot for it. We really like this Jurgens kid. He's gonna be, he's gonna be a similar player to Kelsey. He can climb, he can do all the things that we like that Kelsey does in space. Screw it. Let's just draft it right now and plan ahead. So I don't think you can ever draft too many guys. But my question for you would be, Is, is has Azudu shown enough to you that you wouldn't want to draft a first-round uh, guard? Let's say like a Skarinski. Oh, available At yeah. 25 overall, because people are like, ah, eh, we don't like the arm length. We don't like the height. We don't think he plays tackle. And he just keeps falling and sliding in the draft, and he's there at 25, for example. Is that type of player you would take, or is that type of situation where you'd be like, Eh, I don't know. I like Azudu. I kind of like Bredesen. I don't really want to draft over them right now.
2: So Peter Skaronski is the Northwestern tackle who likely projects to be an interior offensive lineman. I haven't studied his film. Everything I heard from him, it sounds like it's a player that I'm going to really love. So I have to dive into that. But if he falls to 25, then I would 100% be interested in bringing him to the New York Giants because Joshua Zudu hasn't proven to me at least enough from a consistent level That you can't draft over him. He doesn't even have 300 NFL snaps under his belt. And he's also versatile enough where you can possibly train him at other positions. I don't necessarily, I didn't love his tackle tape at UNC. That doesn't mean he can't progress and become an NFL tackle. I don't think that's what he'll end up doing in the NFL. I think he's more of an interior offensive lineman, but no, would be the answer to your question, Dan. I, I think. The Giants should draft over him and and not just be like, hey, we selected a guy in the top 100 last year, a la what the Giants did with Matt Pear. Let's give him a shot. Bring the competition in. You have five offensive linemen. You need to field your best five out of the group that you have. As we know, Giants fans, it's better to have a lot of talented players in the offensive line room rather than going out and getting the West Martins of the world. I never want to be in that situation again.
1: I completely agree, and I think this is one of the positions where it's, not only fair and acceptable to draft over players, I think they almost, like, the way the offensive linemen are from a, I guess, personality standpoint, Nick, and, like, a, just that that uh, perspective, they're kind of okay with it. Like, you do this to receivers, and they ain't okay with it, right? You draft a first-round receiver, and then you draft over him next draft, and that dude's not getting snaps. Now we're hearing about how he doesn't want to play for the team. He wants to trade, all this stuff, right? But at offensive line, I almost feel like they're like, all right, we got to compete. Like, this is our, like, this. we've had to earn, like, Put it put it together, put on good film and practice, put on good tape, and we gotta earn this spot, and that's okay. Also, like you said, I mean the Giants aren't really in a position right now where drafting over isn't even like Okay, even if you penciled in Azudu and we saw enough on tape where, like, this dude is the the deal, he's the real deal, we still got Glowinski over there at right guard. And, like, Bredesen's on the roster, and we like what we saw from Bredesen last year, but he was injured a lot of last year. And that was only, like, a four or five-game sample size of good tape with the Giants so far. That's not nearly enough not to draft over him, of course. So from that standpoint, I'm definitely open to it. And, like you said, we do have the recent example of this backfiring on the Giants. Obviously, the 2021 draft where... Everything I had heard from my guy who seemed to be pretty locked in because he said, and and not to go too saucy here, but I do tend to get a little bit of a little bit of heat. uh, I don't know. Heat's not the right word. A little bit of insight, I should say, from some people that have proven to be pretty good and accurate in the past around the draft. And they were saying, like, the Giants are locked. Dave Gettleman and the Giants are locked in on Playmaker in this first round. Locked in. And then they got traded over for Devonte Smith, who the Giants loved. And what did they do? They traded back, and they took their favorite playmaker left on the board and Gadarius Toney. But they were locked in on getting a weapon. They were overlooking offensive line. I think a big reason is Dave Gettleman loved Matt Parrot. He loved the pick he made with Matt Parrot. He felt like he hit a home run for the Giants with Parrott. And he was just like, I don't want a draft to draft a tackle right now like Rashawn Slater because that means what happens to Matt Parrot. I'm giving up on Parrot, the pick that I love, the pick that i made. And so we already know that hubris already, that draft hubris from the past GM has come back to haunt the Giants. So maybe it's a lesson we can learn as well going into future drafts. Like, Don't have hubris. Try to just understand the draft is a process with a ton of misses, a ton of draft busts. You're not going to hit on every pick. And as high as I am, and I think you
2: are, on Josh Azudu and his future, he could still bottom out, man. Like He has the traits, right? But you have to be developed enough to where you can maximize those traits. And that's something we have not seen yet. But he can easily be coached to that, and he can easily reach that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. So I'm always for, like you said, if you have Andrew Thomas, you don't need to go out and, and draft your left tackle in the top 10. But on the offensive line, if they can be cross-trained, which isn't the easiest thing, then there's still utility in selecting that offensive lineman. So I'm 100% for selecting an interior offensive lineman that might not be
1: a center. And I have a couple more things. to. uh, One more thing I really want to get to with Azudu, but I want to table it for a second because something you just said brought something to my mind, and it's 30,000-foot view draft process type stuff. You know, I think ultimately, based on some of the things Shane has said in the past, His first interview with John Schmelke after getting the job, he really made it clear position value is going to be very important to him with his premium assets in the draft and premium assets. I mean, the first round picks, the second round picks and positional value. I mean, wide receiver, corner, edge rusher, tackle. They already have tackles, but offensive tackle. These are the positions of positional value, basically, on quarterback. Um it leads me to believe they won't take an interior offensive lineman with that 25th overall picnic. But for conversation's sake, I gotta be honest with you, man. I think the giants are better off getting interior offensive linemen in some ways than a receiver with that pick, unless there's a, dominant receiver you think can be an X receiver, break out into the, you know, T Higgins or Jamar Chase, you know, the great X one wide receiver one range. If you think you're getting another two or three there potentially, I don't know, man, because when I think about the whole thing with Daniel Jones, right, what do we need to see from him? We need to see him become a more consistent passer. Where do we need to see him become a more consistent passer? Outside the numbers, down the field. And by down the field, I don't mean bombs. I mean, 15 plus that's down the field to me. And outside the numbers, I mean, you know, the sideline throws, the cover two hole shots. And to get there for me, I know a lot of Giants fans are dug into, to get there. You just need to put Devontae Adams and, and Tyree kill on the field on both sides. And you'll get there. Those those start to happen. To me, I think Daniel Jones is a better chance to get there. If he, if you build him in a lead offensive line, that he's just sitting behind and waiting behind and then feeling comfortable behind. I almost wonder if that's the clearer path to get Jones to start to become a more consistent thrower for the outside the numbers throws and for the down the field throws. And in that case, that's why I start to be like, I know you love positional value, Shane. And I know you've built an offensive line in later rounds with Buffalo, which by the way, wasn't great last year, their offensive line in Buffalo. But at the same time, my dude, give him that Alito line. I think we're going to start to see a better passer faster
2: will also help the rushing attack, right. which will help the passing attack, which will right. open up some more throwing windows. So uh, proving the offensive line has got to be the imperative for the New York Giants. It's been the imperative, I feel like, for a, quite a while, for almost a decade. Yet we're still in this position where we're looking to invest high draft capital in the offensive line. And that's because Giants have not done the best job in replacing whatever talent they had before.
1: Right. And we'll see what we'll see what ultimately he does when we get to the draft. I do again think he's going to lean heavy on positional value. I, I said a tweet the other day, Nick, that I stand behind. I think there's like a ninety percent chance, a nine in ten chance, the Giants are going to draft a receiver or a corner at twenty five. They're just just looking at the board. There's so many potential prospects that are, could fall into that range that will be the highest player ranked at those two positions. And Shane loves positional value. Those are huge positional value positions, and the Giants need both. Obviously, and they both improve your passing game immediately. But it there is a case to be made. Like, I don't know, man. If you put a piece Skaronski, and I don't think is going to fall, but like, let's say we find another guy we really like the tape of on the interior offensive line, and you're drafting a guard at 25 potentially. But man, oh man, you improve this offensive line, and maybe we see the best version of Jones rather than you improve the receivers and we see the best version of Jones. And I think there's pros and
2: cons to each
1: argument. Yeah, and I think for Jones specifically, Nick. He's more of an O-line than a receiver guy. I always felt, this is a long conversation. We don't even need to do this now, but it's a good one. It's interesting to talk about. I always felt throughout his entire career that Eli Manning was an offensive line quarterback, that the best way to get the most out of Eli Manning was to give him an elite O-line rather than give him elite receivers. The Giants went the other route with developing him. Jerry Reese was insanely receiver heavy in his drafts and not O-line heavy enough. And people say, I don't know, he did draft the O-line. Whenever anyone says that, I already did a study on this. They drafted some first round offensive linemen and some premium offensive linemen under Reese. Not that many, but some. But they never drafted the third and fourth and fifth round offensive linemen. They didn't draft enough offensive linemen. So what I'm talking about is not use a couple premium picks every now and then. On the flip side with the receiver, they were firing off receiver picks. Jernell Jernigan, Ruben Randall, Mario Manning, over and over, second, third, first round, fire, 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 fire. And I always felt like with Eli Manning, If you had just given him an Alito line, he could have scanned that field and he could have found any freaking receiver, man. He made so many random tight ends look good at times throughout his career, right? He made some receivers look good at times throughout his career that weren't, in my opinion, that amazingly talented from just a pure athleticism standpoint. No offense to any of those receivers who he made look good at times in his career. And I honestly feel like Daniel Jones could very well be the same kind of quarterback where if you could just give him the Alito line, we don't need to worry so much about do we really have Isaiah Hodgins out there and Darius Slayton out there running these routes? I'm not so sure if we put that old line there that all those guys will start to look better and the entire passing game will look better. But we'll see what happens there.
2: Yeah, those are two totally different quarterbacks. So Daniel Jones can evade and manipulate the pocket and get the hell out of there. Whereas Eli Manning needed
1: an offensive
2: line because if he couldn't do any of those, things. right.
1: I also but, thought Eli Manning was much better at seeing the field post snap than Daniel Jones, which helps with the line. Cause then you can find the open receiver and actually, you know, Eli Manning in a lot of ways, had the, had the ability to make all those throws. And at times he was too aggressive in making some of those whole shots and trying to fit the ball into those tight ones, the opposite of Daniel, He's like the opposite of Daniel Jones in that sense, right? Like Daniel Jones has been and part of this is coaching. Like don't make those throws. Don't make the interceptions, but you know, this is a bigger conversation for another day. I wanted to get to one more thing with Zudu before we move on. Is there any part of you? Cause I think about this in my head that thinks about his skill set, all the things we went over, right? The power, the tight pop, Quickness on his feet, speed, and wonder if maybe he could be he could reach his peak at center for the Giants. It's
2: just a hard projection because I don't yeah. think he has any ex, like experience None. playing senior. So you need to you need to really know protections did and things. Gates, by major, the way, before he,
1: Gates transition, I don't know if Gates. I don't.
2: Th- had- I don't think. I don't think he yeah. did. But those two transitions, they're not 100 percent alike. Like not. Right. No person is the same, right? Yeah. And I don't. I can't speak enough to Joshua Zudu's. Uh, I guess, flexibility in terms of the center position. Now you could talk about the guard, you could talk about the tackle, and maybe you could draw a line and say, well, he was able to transition from tackle to guard from one play to another at UNC. So theoretically, he can slide into the center position. And I'd be like, okay, that does make sense. From an athletic standpoint, I absolutely love it, right? I think there are times where Joshua Zudu His pad level rises a little bit too much. His pad level can get a little bit high and then people can get underneath him, which would not be an ideal situation at center. I think it's a a talking point, right? It'd be like, yeah, maybe, maybe he could be cross-trained there in training camp, but I think it would be a lot to just assume like, okay, yeah, we'll move him at center and then we'll figure it out from there just because we have not seen that. And I know that transition specifically is, is pretty damn difficult.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point too. I see that sometimes when I'm watching Feliciano versus Gates where sometimes that happens with Gates getting his pad level too high versus Feliciano. One yeah. thing he does well that some people don't, you know, that not everybody gives him credit for it's just not talk about a lot is he's better with the pad level and that's something with the Zudo. He's a taller player, but I just think about the idea of like traits wise there is some potential for like a wild upside with him in the middle of that offense i'm still looking for something better at center oh I'll, I'll be i like nick gates as a person and i think his comeback story is amazing and he's like a fine center to have at any point like an average to slightly above average center but throughout my time as a giants fan and analyst i'm just going to be waiting for the day where we can find like a jason kelsey type to put in at center or creed humphrey and so it's one thing to think about when you consider like can the Giants draft in another interior offensive lineman? High? Well, yeah, you can because you can really move and match these guys all over the interior offensive line. Let's just try to get more talent there and find three really good players to, at some point, be on the interior. I think right now, as I look at the roster, the Giants have a chance of a real one really good player on the interior offensive line. As we look at it just now, one pretty good player on the interior offensive line, and then nothing else. Those guys are Azu. I think has a chance to be a really good interior offensive lineman in the NFL? Bredesen, I think, could be a pretty good offensive line, interior offensive lineman. The rest are, are either falling and going backwards or right now are average. And that includes Glowinski and Gates. No offense. He's average in my mind. Feliciano, yeah. average without much of a track up. And I think the other t- Bredesen track a little bit up and then Azuto a higher track. I'm looking one day. I would hope we can get three on that high track. We'll see what happens.
2: Getting three on that high track would be absolutely ideal, but again, like just because he's on the high track doesn't mean he's going to get, he can to the get there. Right, like Zudu it. could
1: easily. Yeah. That's just an upside thing. The floor is certainly much lower, even than Gates and Feliciano. I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one more thing before we transition to Cordell Flott, let's just look at some of the draft picks after the Giants okay. selected Joshua Zudu at sixty-seven. And the name that really jumps out to me is at seventy-two to the Seattle Seahawks, Abraham Lucas, the Washington State offensive tackle because this is somebody who just slid in and started at tackle right side of the line of scrimmage and was pretty damn good they had two rookie tackles up there in seattle with him and then charles cross so that's probably the first name that i really look at then there are other like high profile names like desmond ritter the atlanta falcons at 74 you had chad muma to 70 to the jacksonville jags and then tennessee titans nicholas Petit freer uh, he was the offensive tackle out of Ohio State. So, just some other names that I kind of wanted to bring up.
1: Yeah, we should look at all the players who were selected at or around or after um, Josh Azuto. We talked last podcast about Luke Fortner was selected two picks before Azuto. I think both Nick and I would, no, we liked Azudo. but we would both prefer Fortner right now on the team. And that would, yeah. that would be great to have uh, at center. But Lucas is an interesting one because. I actually was doing some research for a fantasy pod I did yesterday on Kenneth Walker. And I was looking into Lucas's rookie season. And the biggest takeaways I have from like the people who cover the uh, Seahawks and the films up over like the PFF stuff. Cause I trust that more is he was very good in pass production, but he wasn't so great as a run blocker this year, Abraham Lucas. So that's interesting. And obviously with Evan Neal already on the roster, I'm not so sure there's really a role for him unless you were to move Neal to the inside to guard, which I know some giants fans think is the move. I still think would be a bad move for the giants. for obvious reasons, but like, I also just don't think, I think he has a better chance to be a tackle than a guard in general based on his skill set. So Lucas is an interesting one. If they had made that pick, I wonder where they could have gone. Bernard Raymond actually played a little bit at the end of the year for the Colts. Once they got injuries, I'm not sure how he played, but he, I was a huge fan of his coming out. Uh, I know he's an older prospect, but I liked what I saw. Um, So I'm not sure how he played. Christian Harris was one that we were considering in the pre-draft process. I'm not sure how he played with the Texans, but he comes to mind. The Kobe Dean, did we see much out of Dean? I'm not 100% certain. I know he doesn't start for them because they have TJ Edwards and Kaiser
2: White.
0: They're mostly operating.
2: No, but he's also a rookie who had a lot of injury issues, who's undersized, fun player, but... We have to see how he translates. I mean, he could have a really good career, but I didn't expect it to happen during his rookie season. in terms of Lucas, that was more just theorizing what if the Giants went another direction at seven, which obviously Joe Shane could have never have known that Abraham Lucas was going to be available at six. If he even liked Lucas. Yeah. If he even liked him. Exactly. But I just
1: think that's always a fun exercise. Yeah, I agree. A couple others that come to mind. Uh, or one other, because then we're closer to the Cordell flat range. One other that comes to mind for me as a player we both really liked in the pre-draft process. And so far, what I've seen at the NFL level I really like is Greg Dolchich, the tight end out of UCLA, a weapon the Giants could have drafted and played in three by one sets on the one side, or just in general found different ways to utilize his skills that I think Dable and Kafka would have done a really good job of that. What are your thoughts on Dolchich over Azudu, potentially? I liked Greg Dulcich a lot, but he's not really a blocker. He's more of kind of no, a base type of player. Yeah.
2: So um, for that in the third round at that point, with all the holes on the Giants roster, I'd
1: probably want to go in another direction, although I think he can be a dynamic tight end in the NFL. Yeah, because then they would have had to probably look at, like, a guard in the range where they took Bellinger, and I don't know if there's anyone we really love there. Um, okay, so we move on to the 81st overall pick. The Giants took Cordell Flott, a surprising pick at the time. Not so much. Oh, actually, one more player I wanted to ask you about. Or no, no, he's after that. Okay. A surprising pick at the time to some. He was a player who we brought Eric Crocker on the podcast, uh, former NFL defensive back. And this is one of his favorite sleepers in the class, Cordell Flott. I remember watching um, the other side, uh, the kid who the Texans took overall, uh Derek Stingley Jr. Stingley. And Flott stood out. I remember listening to a couple of LSU coaches who were talking about Flott. It's a traits thing with Flott. for me. I love this click and close. I love his length. I saw so much upside from him. What are your thoughts on Flott now after year one? Didn't play all that much, but had some snaps for the giants this year. Some key snaps.
2: I think it's important to remember that Cordell Flott was injured. Early in this season, like he didn't see the field until week two. He didn't play at all in week one, but he was dinged up a lot throughout the season, spent some time. I think it was on IR because I don't think he dressed from week four to week 11, according to pro football focus. And he got on the field every now and again. What I loved about that, though, was despite the fact that he overcame the hurdles of being injured as a rookie, he still ended up finding the football field and he was able to make plays when he was put out on the football field because you're right. He has the youth. He's 21 years old right now he that's really young he's long like he doesn't have the longest arms but when you look at him out there he looks a lot longer than his arm measurement actually showed and i just think the six foot one frame is excellent once he fills it out he's like 175 pounds so right. he's not the thickest or the strongest guy but i think that will come in due time you know just throw peanut butter and jelly sandwiches down his throat like we say i think that will come but I love how he rose to the occasion several times. You think about the third Nate in the wildcard game where he undercut A.J. Osborne and then just broke up that pass, just fought through the catch point. The competitive nature of a player like Cordell Fly is I think the most endearing trait about him and the fact that he has all of the requisite athletic skills to play man coverage as a cornerback, man. He has the quick feet. He really has a lot of acceleration, a lot of speed. I feel like he's fluid, oily type of hips. Open. He can close. I feel like he is controlled. He's not really, you know, running wildly. I feel like he plays low as well. So even though he is a little bit of a taller cornerback, he doesn't play like upright and lose balance when he is in his back pedal or anything like that. So I really liked what I've seen. And you brought the click and close. I think that's an excellent kind of marker to the burst and the explosiveness that he has as well. So I, I enjoy Cordell fly. I think the upside is certainly there. I don't think it's necessarily something that we've seen yet consistently, obviously, just because he didn't really have that opportunity all that much, but I think he can be a man coverage player, and I think Wink Martindale is going to like to employ his skill set next year, and he could possibly be a starter.
1: If Wink Martindale's still here, hopefully that will be the case. Definitely worried about that on both fronts with both coordinators, but I don't want this to sound like we're now falling into Homer range or anything like that. But Nick and I are both very excited about these first two picks of the second part of the draft. We're, we're breaking this into two parts in the sense that those top 50 picks are different than every pick made after it. And so after it, we now have Josh Azudu and Cordell flot. And we're both pretty excited about these two picks. And I think this second half of the draft is where Joe Shane can define this class with these two picks. And the one we're going to go after, right? Go, go. Um, sorry. Talk about right after this. And when it comes to flat, the things that really stand out to me are all of what, or at least some of what Nick just broke down. It's the fluidity. Number one, that looks really good. It's the acceleration, the click and close. It's the, feeling of length. I know you're saying he's not actually that long, but when he's on the field, he looks long and it feels like he's a long player out there. And those three things to me project as a potential solution and a winner on the outside in man coverage. And I'll bring this back around and saying that it's not like we're doing this about every player. I know Nick's much higher on the player I'm about to talk about, but I'm not all that high on Aaron Robinson. And I look at those two players, Robinson versus Flott. And I think when I see flawed, I'm like, this is a pro- prospect I'm excited about. He's fluid. He looks long out there. He has click and close. He looks like someone I think can eventually be a really good starter. And with Robinson, i look at him and I'm like, I really think he should move back to the slot. I don't really love him on the outside. I don't love his foot speed on the outside. I think he's just a different, more of like that, uh, boxy's not the right word to describe him, but just more of somebody who I think is best suited in the slot. He's, th- and I think he can play man, too. And we don't know. We're like, There's no sample size of him on the outside, really. We had like the preseason game where he got torched by the rookie on, on New England. And then he got injured early in the season, came back, got injured again. So it's not like I'm going off much of a sample size. But traits-wise, I think I'm a lot more excited
0: about Flot than Robinson moving forward. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: I would agree with that. No, I think Aaron Robinson is fine, though. It's just I, the fact that he got injured this year, that's going to Yanks really hamper yeah. his development. The fact that he's been moved around several different times since he was drafted also kind of stifles his development as well. But I think he's fine in terms of his athletic ability and his ability to play man coverage. But in terms of Cordell Flott, one play really sticks out to me as well. And it was a play that Unfortunately, he didn't secure the interception, but it was the Minnesota game, the first one where I believe it was a first down and the Giants were in a quarters coverage and the Minnesota Vikings, I believe, ran a dagger concept. Cordell Flott was the boundary cornerback and he read the dagger part. So he read the deep dig route and he undercut it because he had, I think, help over the top as well. So. I don't have the play in front of me, but what I remember is him kind of just in his backpedal anticipating the break. And then once the break happened, he instantaneously undercut it. And cousins at that point was already releasing the football throwing with anticipation and flat undercut it and came away with what would have been an interception. He just didn't secure the pick, but there was, an anticipation to the way he undercut that play that made me think, wow, he's really putting things together. He's understanding how to read route concepts and then react. And when you have that type of click and close ability that you discussed, and when you have that type of explosiveness and all the athletic traits, that's the way you come away with interceptions. And that's not necessarily something or Del Flott did all that much in college. He wasn't somebody who was glued to the football, but if he can develop the mental side of that, remember this kid was 20 years old when he was selected, if he can develop the mental side of it. Then we're really talking about a player who can be dangerous on the defense. And again, we're talking high, right? We're talking, this is the potential that he can be. We're not necessarily saying he's there yet, but when you start seeing signs of this, it's difficult to not get excited.
1: I think that's a great point too. That's his best play of the season by far, in my opinion, that first Minnesota game. Cause like you said, it, it, It's the combination of the football IQ that you see there, which is really important. And then of course the trait, which is the click and close ability. He undercuts that route, jumps it and makes the interception sort of, I mean, it doesn't count as an interception. He drops it at the point of contact, the ground, but that's as close to an interception as you get. And every defensive coordinator is going to watch that and be like, dude, that was, that was good tape. Like take a look at this, do this more. Um, As far as Flock goes with the ceiling, I like that you bring up that he's only 20 years old, right? Because if you look at it like, oh, at LSU, he didn't really make any interceptions. He didn't really show off. He didn't put all those traits together and use his football IQ to kind of make those plays and jump around or click and close. You can look at, you can potentially just chalk that up to he's a young player. And he's still developing in just playing the position, right. Or just understanding these route concepts and what this means. And, oh, we're in that, we're in that quarters. Look, I I have help over the top. I can make this drive on this football. I can read this play and make this drive and I won't get crushed by, by I won't leave the back end of my defense open. You know, I won't put us in a bad situation on the back end. And so all of that comes, comes through to me. And I'm just very excited about him as a prospect. These two guys, Zudu and Flot, to me have, Big time traits. And I'm not so sure you usually get draft these kind of traits when you draft players in this range. And again, I don't want to bring this guy back because I'm not trying to knock him. I think he can still be a great slot player and maybe he can be an outside player. But when I compare the traits of Robinson and Flot, two players who were selected in a very similar range, and I know Robinson ended up having a good 40 time at his pro day or whatever, but to me, they just look like totally different players from a trait standpoint. And Azuto is a similar player to that too. Like, I know they were drafted not too similarly close or whatever, but when I look at like a Zudu and a player we drafted recently in that not range, but on day th- three later, like Shane Lemieux, those two traits wise don't even compare at all to me. And that's kind of where I'm at with both of those players, Azudu and Flot. I really like their traits. I think they have a lot of
2: traits. I still think that. If they don't develop their floor, there, yes, right? then I mean, they're I just not be as, yeah, I want to be as right. transparent as we can about that. But when you have the traits, when you possess those yes. traits, I would argue Aaron Robinson has those traits as okay. well. But again, the development might not be there. Like this Aaron Robinson is a pretty damn good athlete, man. And he did a shit ton of stuff over there at UCF for the Knights. So like I I don't know. I, I think he was a solid pick in the third
1: round. Oh, I do York too. I think he can there. still be a good player for the Giants. I just, me and you have never seen, we, this is one of our disagreements on Aaron Robinson. I think for your probably, I've always think you'll, you'll end up probably being right on these. I just, when I watch him, I don't see the best athlete out there. It's probably the best way I can describe it.
2: The thing is though, like this is somebody who is now injured, right? I he know. has what? 340 total yeah. snaps. So like he wasn't drafted by this regime, by this coordinator. Everything is setting up for this to be a huge bust pick, and I'm aware of that at this point. But I'm going back to what I studied
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: right from from him. And I'm going to stay with what I saw on his college tape. There is a good football player in there. It's just I don't know if it's going to be but it's going to happen here in New York now.
1: And I want to make it clear. I think there's still good football player in him, too. I love the pick and I liked him for different reasons than I like Flot. is the best way to describe it. I like Flot for the traits and the athleticism. I like Robinson more for just the sticky man coverage I saw at times, especially when he was in the slot. Um, and so I think ultimately you move him to the slot and he could still be a great player because I don't really love Darnay Holmes in the slot anyway, overall. I think he's good around line of scrimmage. I don't think he's good in coverage. So they still need a solution there too. They need multiple solutions at this cornerback spot slot and outside. So hopefully in an ideal world, you can get Flot and Robinson to play both of those positions.
2: I think that's one thing that we don't talk about enough with the New York Giants. and Maybe Flock can become this. If the yeah. Giants need to find somebody to solidify their nickel position because they love to exactly. be in sub packages so yep. damn much. The NFL runs a lot of 11 personnel, right? And even when they run 12, some of those tight ends are more so just receivers than these big, you know, Rob Gronkowski type of tight ends. So you figure out that slot position, I feel like that can help this defense just massively it's so, so Whether, much. And that's just not even with Wink Martindale as your defensive corner. That's Anymore. really any yeah. Anyone because the slot is just a place that so many teams target so frequently. And just having that guy who is sticky in man coverage knows where to be, can tackle, can get his hands on the football, can tip passes up in the air so the safeties can intercept it. Having that player would significantly help this defense. I don't think Darnay Holmes is that guy either. He just hasn't no. shown it yet. I think he's fine. Like he's average, maybe. But like you want. A significant upgrade than that. Like, imagine having a guy like Marlon Humphrey, right? Baltimore right. Raiders, or a player like that, yep. even though he got even toasted a by
1: Gardner Johnson is big for them. Yeah. Like, having just that is huge for the Eagles.
2: Yeah. And he's also a player that is a safety, right? Like, right. Avante Maddox is their nickel, and Avante Maddox is a damn good one. And he didn't
1: even play against the Giants. That's right. why Richie, yeah. So, and that's in, it either of those guys can play in there. But look, that's something they're going to need. I also think this is a bigger thing, but this is not to do with corner, but. I thought something was missing this year as with their alley defender the Giants have had. They've had a lot of good alley defenders over the years, physical guys like Jabril Peppers, Landon Collins. I didn't love Julian Love in that role, and I know there was a bunch of safeties who kind of helped in that role. To me, they're missing that too, that physicality coming down the line of scrimmage from one of these safeties. And I don't know what they're gonna, how they're going to get that right now with what's on the roster, but it's part of the reason why I'm personally open to just letting Julian Love walk. They got to let some of these guys walk, right? It's not like the Giants can't just go out here and say, all right, we'll re-sign Barkley, we'll re-sign Jones, we'll re-sign Julian Love, we'll re-sign Jihad Ward, we'll re-sign uh, Darius Slayton and resign them all, right? And then we're also gonna find a way to pay Andrew Thomas and Dexter Lawrence and Xavier McKinney. It doesn't work like that. The NFL doesn't work like that. If you did that, we'd start cooking having tons of contracts kicked back, dead cap hit through the through the mouth, and also then that's your roster, right? That's kind of your ceiling. Roster at that point. when I say, dead cat through the mouth? <laughs> through the mouth, coming out through the mouth. Dead cat, you're spitting it out, Dave it's Gettleman style. Dave Gettleman style. Let's kick that sold Solder contract back one so, more year. Why not? I like what we, I saw. One thing on Julian Love,
2: and this is probably a conversation best for another podcast. Yeah, but do you think you're maybe having some recency bias with Love because his tackling against the Eagles was literally just the worst I've ever seen Julian Love? Because Julian Love wasn't. I don't think he was that bad as an alley defender. He's a little bit undersized. I'd say that because when you think about like Landon Collins, like 225 pound Landon Collins coming downhill and Jabril Peppers and, and those alley defenders, right. but he had like what five or six missed tackles against Philadelphia. Like, I don't think he had like more than two missed tackles in
1: any other game the entire season. Yeah, for me. I know I totally see where that could be coming from, but it's not for me. It's like an overall thing with Julian. Overall it's thing. not in right. a, ma- a mad matter of he's missing a lot of tackles. Cause I don't think he's somebody who misses a lot of tackles. It's more a matter of, does he transcend just okay. doing your job or not? Because when you're resigning these, just do your job players, there is a lot of risk in it. You know, Logan Ryan was a do your job guy. Logan Ryan contract ended up being a horrible contract. That was bad for the giants. I don't know how much transcendent plays Julian love ever makes in the field. I think he's good in the sense that look, he doesn't miss a lot of tackles, but like you said, he also doesn't bring that physical nature downhill that I personally thought they were missing with the guys like peppers and Collins who are bigger players. But at the same time, they're bringing that to the defense. Those play, yeah. the opposite offense knows those guys are on the field. And at the same time, you're going to lose out a little bit of, there's going to be some more communication er- uh, errors in the back end Cause he's a good at setting the line. He's understand where he's supposed to be. He has good spatial awareness pretty good spatial learners. I don't think it's anything close to elite but I just don't know what Julian Love does that's so damn good ever on the football field and when you start to resign those types of players that aren't really doing transcendent things but they are great in the locker room and they're locker room guys and everybody loves them and they've done consistent job throughout the years they've stayed pretty healthy consistent there's value in that but less value when you start to pay a quarterback 35 million against the cap Less value when you start to pay a running back 20, uh, $15 million against the cap. Because then you just don't have that much cap space to work with, and you can't just yeah. you need to start using that money on on more than just the average or the, the players who do their job. It's more of that for me with love. I just don't know that I see him taking his game to another level, and I don't think, quite, quite frankly, he has at at any point been really that dominant or transcendent player.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair take. I don't think he's a transcendent player. I think there's so much value in these defensive backs and these safeties, specifically in the modern NFL where I you're know. running much pattern match so much quarters, yeah. so much bombs and things like that i think there's so much value in those players who really just know their role and know their assignment but that doesn't mean just because if you don't have julian love you won't find a replacement who right. also knows his role and knows his assignment and that can bring us to not the next player we'll talk about but the player after dane belton is and i'm wondering man if the giants and i know we're jumping around a lot here but i, I do think this flows well what the Giants think about their safety position right now. Because Dame Belton was more than likely selected because the Giants liked him, but also as a possible solution to the Julian Love issue. If Julian Love leaves, we have Dame Belton. I don't know if the Giants are still confident in that because Dame Belton hardly saw the football field down the stretch of this season. And he had the golden opportunity
1: when Xavier McKinney made his mistake in Capo. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. We can skip there. Before we go there, Though I do, I do want to just do, like we've done with all these picks, anyone after Cordell Flott that you would have preferred the Giants would take or that maybe we can reconsider. Um, and then we're going to get into the, the Belton thing because I think it does flow nicely. And then we'll circle back to the player we missed before that. But before that, uh, sorry, in, in that time now, do you see anyone? So someone that comes out to me first, I want to get your take on, it's Marcus Jones, the corner out of Houston the Patriots have found a way to use in a lot of different ways. He's been a special teams player for them, and he scored touchdowns. He scored a touchdown on, I think, one of those push-pass plays that he was on the field for Often He's played offense, defense, and special teams in his first season with the Patriots. I loved his tape coming out. I thought he was one of the best value picks at the time. I know the reason that he was drafted so late at 85 overall. It's simply put because of his height. There's no other reason. And I'm curious what your thoughts on on, on maybe would you rather – who would you rather have moving forward, Flotter or him, those types of things. That's an interesting one.
2: I, I, I haven't studied his film yeah. since college, which was last year, and I liked him coming out, and I loved the dynamic playmaking ability. I didn't think the Giants were going to take him because of that height. Like I think that height is is a huge issue, yep. but I love how the Patriots have utilized this. Because I think I'm okay with the Cordo of Flott, as of right now at least – because I think that's what the Giants coaching staff right now is certainly looking for. One player, though, that did also kind of come out to me, and I know he did not have that great of a season, but I'm wondering if he was with the Giants. Now, this would also be if they didn't take a Zudu, I guess, in the pick prior. So there's a little bit of, you know, just jumping around. would be Dylan Parham, the kid from Memphis, who had a pretty solid senior bowl, I remember. And I don't think I watched too much of his tape. I might have might have had like a maybe like two games or whatever. And I thought he was a solid player, albeit he was playing for Memphis, so a smaller level of competition. I know he struggled in Las Vegas this season, but Las Vegas' offense in Las Vegas in general was just an absolute mess under McDaniels. So maybe in a different environment, he could have been okay. I think I'm fine though with the with the flop pick. If I scroll down more, if I were from really getting nitpicking, you could do this for so many picks, I would say. Tariq Wallen that's the easy answer oh, going on. down
1: there I actually have a couple yeah. guys. that's next that's next round though right this fourth round there's actually a few guys in the third round range well, uh,
2: okay I know I know exactly where you're going you know, I'm so. going to go
1: to next that yeah and I still I, I, so I would take Flot over who we just discussed and and the guard uh, over Parham or or the or Marcus Jones because I like Marcus Jones and I think uh, he could be a game changer but he's also a smaller player and I know you were high on Sean Ryan, by the way, who the Packers took as just another type of interior guy we could have considered there. I think he got injured um, this year, if I'm not mistaken. He got injured. But at 97 overall, a player who I was insanely high on, made all my sleeper lists in the pre-draft process, was Kirby Joseph, the safety out of Illinois. That, I think, would have been a very... Or, or you're thinking about another player who I see on the list, but... I, yeah. I know who you're thinking I'm talking about, but Kirby Joseph, the safety out of Illinois had a really, really good first year with the lions was basically exactly what you thought he would be. And it actually translated, uh, versus, you know, the, the kid from UCL or, uh, from Cal, it never translated with, I know he got injured a bunch and he was kind of just smaller in the first place. Um, who was that safety? I liked that a Cal a couple years ago to, that went to the Ashton Jets, Davis. Ashton Davis, your both so much better with this recall than I am, uh, <laughs> but, um, Ashton Davis, but Kirby Joseph, Similar type of prospect to me, but better. And in the sense that he plays the deep half in that ball hawk safety position, he had a phenomenal year with the Lions. I think he intercepted Aaron Rodgers three times in one game. Um, it was either two or three times. We just yeah, discussed it. Yeah. yeah, twice in a game, still amazing. That would be interesting, right? Kirby Joseph on this defense. That allows Xavier McKinney to match up against the slots more often. That allows Xavier McKinney to go inside the box more often. And then you have Kirby Joseph kind of patrolling the deep half in those single high-safety looks that we know Wink Marndale likes to run with a lot of cover one. That would be the interesting one. And I think if I could do it over, I would take Kirby Joseph over with Flott.
2: Now, the other name, though, and I know Kirby Joseph was the first one you were going to go to, okay, and I okay. think I'm right there with you. I think I would take Kirby Joseph over both Azudu and Flop. Yes, me too. Leo Chanel. Now, I find him to be very interesting, right? Because he was picked, I believe it was a 103rd overall at the back end of the third round. Wisconsin Badger. He was known for Jim Leonard's incredible blitzing type of packages similar to Wink Martindale. So the transition, you, you can easily link it, right? But do you think the Giants should have went in that direction for a non traditional linebacker? I don't know if it's fair to call him that, and you can p- correct me if I'm wrong. But he's much more known for his ability in the box to blitz and do things of that nature, right? So maybe better on first and second down, and then a blitzer on third down, yeah. where dropping into coverage a little bit stiff, not necessarily right. his thing, moving backwards, if I remember correctly. But drafting that type of linebacker at that point, or a cornerback, which you know this team needed or an offensive guard, which you also know this team needed. I feel like that conversation is one that could be a little bit fun. What do you think
1: about Leo Chanel now that we're a year removed from the draft? Yeah, I mean, look, I completely agree with you. The interesting thing about, or so long-term, I think you want the corner more, I guess. Like, long-term, there's still traits with both those players, Azuda and Flot, that I understand why the Giants are making those types of picks like Shane. Like, look, he's looking at it like both Azuda and Flot are young players they're still developing and they have incredible ceiling based on their traits. That's the type of players we want. And we yeah. interviewed them. We spoke with them. We met with them and we think they're smart, tough, dependable too. So we really feel like these are, I know, I know that's why Shane ends up drafting these guys. Cause he's like, we love the traits. We love the profile. They fit that they're young. remember they drafted a lot of young players in Buffalo too. They believe in that. And we met with them and we think we have the insight on them because not only that the traits, we know we like them personality wise, but I know at least for 2022, Nick, I don't know this, but in my opinion, if Leo Chanel was on the team in 2022 versus a flot, the giants would have been a much better defense in 2022. I think that to me goes without saying you put him in over Jalen Smith. There might've been some issues on third down, like you said, but it's not like Jalen Smith was good in pass coverage at all. Anyway, I felt like Jalen Smith was taking himself out of pass lanes. Often. He didn't have a single tip ball the whole year. He didn't have a single interception the whole year. He was not a good pass coverage player and Chanel actually had a pretty good rookie season with the Chiefs from everything I've read. And he would have been really good in the run game for the Giants and potentially as a blitzer as well.
2: Because that's my main thing, right? Because I think this is a fascinating argument. We could probably do a whole podcast on this. But what was the biggest issue with the Giants linebackers? It was reading, it was reacting, and then it was also himself clean coming downhill. And I feel like that's like the
1: thing he did best. That's everything that
2: that Leo Chanel did best, right? So... I'm like oh man i think the giants may have been better off from a long-term standpoint with a player like this albeit dropping in the coverage may not be his his best trade. but at the same time you know the giants needed offensive line help interior offensive lineup you know they needed right. young bodies at the cornerback position yeah cordell flop might not have did a lot in 2022 that rhymed but moving forward we project him he could possibly be a starter and is that more worth the value of what leo chanel would have brought in 2022 and right. also what Leo Chanel can also do for the New York Giants moving forward, which could be a lot, right? Because he didn't really do this much. I pulled up his stats at 18 tackles, one sack, three pressures. So
1: he's, he's played in a, a very, lot toward the end of the year. He wasn't playing much in, until the very end.
2: And he's also somebody who is in a very deep linebacking
1: group. Yeah. Right.
2: Like they got Willie Gay there. They got Nick Bold. Yeah. They have, a, they have a lot of really good young linebackers. With the New York Giants, those numbers would be a lot more. <laughs> yeah. <because laughs> he's he playing so right. Much.
1: he not going to play over the New York Giants? Jalen Smith, Austin Calitro. I mean, come on. Exactly. Who he would have been better. Yeah. The thing is, I understand that. And I think in our opinion, even long term, he could have potentially been a better player. But from Shane's perspective, and I understand from just like the overall draft perspective on this, Shane might have seen just a two down player in Leo Chanel. And that may have just been the case. Like he may have been like. You know, we scout these guys. We have our opinions on these players. They're based on their traits. We don't think he's ever a good type of guy who we can rely on to be on the field as our Mike on third downs or obvious passing downs. And the flip side, they may be like, we see potential all pro guard in, in uh, Josh Sudo who never has to come off the field. We have him on for 100% of snaps. We see a potential starting corner at a Flot, who never has to come off the field. He's on the field for 100% of the snaps. And that alone could be the decision right there in, tra- in drafting those types of players over a Chanel. And that-
2: Type of mindset right there. I'm not 100% certain if it will be fully translatable going forward with Joe Shane just because Joe Shane did not have his scouting department last year with the New right. York Giants. So that is something that we have to monitor. Going into this draft, we have to remember that. Now, trades were really important, but was he just betting on trades, Dan, because he wasn't 100% certain on the, I guess, the accuracy of the current Giant scouting staff that is not. There anymore, that is no longer there, so we'll have to um wait and see what he does here because it what did seem like last year's draft was a big traits draft. I'm wondering if it'll be like that going forward.
1: It was a traits and an age draft, yeah. And we can cl- include that in traits like age as well. He wants younger play, he drafted a ton until the GJ Davidson pick that they took in like round five. The Giants had like the youngest draft, I think, or they were like the second or third youngest draft. And think about the it,
2: Dave Gettleman was so much about like the senior bowl and, and the east west shrine game and right. all of these seniors. Joe Shane was not like that whatsoever yep. in his first draft. A lot of young players. And then he went and he selected a defensive tackle who was like 26 years old almost.
1: <laughs> they definitely thought he could just be like a year one contributor type of thing. And they're like, eh, we got something here. We can play him as an interior defensive line piece. But yeah. So let's we'll circle back to the picks we missed or the pick we missed, but let's talk about Dean Belton. Do because you, you-, you want to do you wanna somehow um do we make this three? Yeah, I know. We already went an hour. Thing is, cause like With these, it's like we have had a lot of great talk in here, but it's not even also also focused on like the picks. It's like we've had a lot of these like bigger draft discussions, like the one we just had, which are better than just talking about the picks anyway. So um, we could really we could move this to a third one and then just and then just um,
2: I say we leave a teaser frame this
1: differently. Like I not say, just frame yeah. it like, oh, here are the picks. Like we're talking yeah. about this talk about like, you know, like I'll frame it like we're talking bigger discussion type things on the draft. So I got yeah, I mean, about like that dra-
2: draft overview plus. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you can. Handle that, but I say we um we bring up Dane Belton and we'll be like, you know what we should do? We should make this three part, blah blah, blah. because just talking about Dane Belton and Daniel Belton is gonna take us like a half hour. I know, and then we, all the other idiots will just be like blah blah blah, blah. and then we could talk about Darian Beavers possibly being an answer, about all that kind of. Shit. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. Yep. Okay, okay, I'll do that. All right. Actually, you know what, Nick? Before we discuss Dane Belton, we did a lot of draft stuff today and a lot of overview stuff and a lot of 30,000 foot conceptual stuff, which I like better anyway. And I think it gives the listeners more and you guys can let us know, but I think it's better. So we still have so much we want to talk about with Dane Belton and and Daniel Bellinger and the rest of those picks. So we're going to probably cut this off now. Actually, we've gone pretty far um, already. So we'll do another one with those picks next week, most likely, or at some point coming up soon. But anyway, Nick, before we go, I'm going to transition one more time to something completely out of the blue. But I don't know if you've noticed in the last 24 hours, and I think this is pretty odd and weird. I don't know if we're getting trolled here, but three former Giants have tweeted that they want to come back to the Giants. Justin Pugh tweeted he wants to come back to the Giants. James Bradbury said he would be open to sign. He would like to resign with the Giants. Not like to, but would be open to re-signing with the Giants. And, who's, and Evan Ingram was like, I love New York. He just tweeted, yeah. I love New York. Are we getting trolled? Are the Giants getting trolled?
2: No, I think the atmosphere that Brian Dable is cultivating here and the Giants exceeding expectations is kind of raising the eyebrow to Giants who, to former Giants who were on a team where it did not have that type of atmosphere, right? And I think New York is New York freaking city. You don't need yeah. to sell it, it's one of the best cities in the entire world. And the fact that they now have a competent football team, I think guys like Pew, Ingram, and Bradbury are like, I would return to with that coaching staff, with that team. And I would love to play there because last time I was there, I didn't really get to live it up because the team sucks so bad.
1: Right. That's an interesting point. And I wonder, we'll we'll get into all those. We can do a quick, quick little recap. Of those three players, who would you most give me a, uh, I was thinking of a game, like a married, like a sign. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, let's just give me a quick overview on your thoughts on re-signing any of those three players. Yeah, so the
2: money would be a big thing. So I'm going to try to ignore the money, which is difficult to do, right? But who would I think would help the Giants the most? (laughs) Honestly, Bradbury and Ingram are kind of like this at this point. I really think both of them could help the team. Pew, I'm fine with bringing Pew back because I feel like he was a really well-respected individual, but he's also like, what, 33 years old or he's going to be 33 years old. And he's coming off of, I believe, a torn ACL. So there's, I don't know how much he's going to be like. starting offensive lineman i don't know if that path is quite there for him unless the giants suffer a lot of other injuries whereas i think bradbury is a day one starter i think evan ingram is maybe your second most dangerous weapon right now if you bring him back on offense like that's a good conversation maybe we could have is evan ingram your second most dangerous weapon in this offense with this coaching staff utilizing his skill set
1: um i would still think that slayton's bigger weapon as they currently stand right now personally
2: see, i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure I think they have Did similar
1: I, issues, and I think Slayton has a little bit more speed.
2: Well, yeah, I would say Slayton's a little bit faster, but the speed at the tight end position. Now that also goes it back to the locked, argument,
1: at, but, yeah, blocking.
2: Yeah, uh, the one thing I will say about Evan Ingram, not a great blocker. He definitely progressed with his blocking from 2017 to 2020. For sure, I, I felt like he took a step forward, but that step wasn't that long. You know, it was, it yeah. was it was a little bit more than a baby step? It was like a toddler step. Or what's yeah. what's what's worse, a toddler or a baby?
1: Probably a toddler step.
2: No, no, no. I think I think a baby, the uh, babies can't even step.
1: You know what <laughs> I'm saying? Like a, like a yeah, toddler can yeah, least step. Yeah, right. It's a bigger step. Um, <laughs> I think I would go James Bradbury is the one I would definitely be interested in resigning. Um, I'm always interested in corner talent, but he doesn't really fit the system. So I don't love it. Ingram, think, I'm not going to Ingram. I don't want to resign. So Ingram, I agree. Not only would be potentially the second best weapon, like you mentioned, either second. And they're probably going to let Slayton walk. Right. So he'd be the second best weapon and i think he could be a fit in this system like all the crossers we've seen and all the backside drags those are all his best routes but he is still the same prospect that doesn't have sure hands in my opinion that doesn't cut really well 90 degrees and i don't really think that's a great type of person to invest in the jaguars just gave him a one-year 10 million dollar contract that's probably the price point he's looking at per year So I don't love the idea of signing a bad hands, not 90 good 90 degree cutter that can't really block at the tight end position. I know he's been proved there, but it's more of a frame thing. He's never going to really be the guy who can really help you in the run game. In my opinion, too much, especially if you ask him to block a defensive end, he has no shot there. So I don't really have interest in Ingram though. I do think if we had somehow found a way to, to sign him for this year, he would have helped the giants, but there are other guys and there are other spots to wait for there. Then Pew not really any interest at all, if I'm going to be honest with Pew. No offense. I know a listener asked, and I understand the idea of Pew. He was good when he was with the Giants, when he was healthy. Like, he graded out really well pro football focus-wise, and I wasn't doing the film back then, so I don't know if that checked out on the film. That's something we don't, we're don't we not sure of. But we've got Azudu. We've got Bredesen. I'd rather draft somebody and get in kind of a young, interesting talent who doesn't have an ACL injury like you talked about and all the other injuries that Pew has had in his career. But if it's cheap enough, if it gets to the point where no one's interested in Pew and free agency, which is possible in my opinion, and he's just sitting there and it's week three or free agency, and he's like, I want to come back to the Giants and an incentive laden deal. That's the one I could actually see happening yeah. out of these three.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I
1: yeah. think
2: Spotrack had him at
1: like, is that how you say it, by the way? Is it Spotrack.com? I don't know now? if it's Spotrack or Spotrack. I'll just say Spot Track. I think Spot Track sounds better. I'm so an over we'll the look- cap guy anyway. So.
2: Yeah, they had do the market value, though, on
1: spot. track. but I and, think there's been some there's been some debate that spot track steals from over the cap, and I and I trust it. I like Jason Fitzgerald. He was the first guy to do it. I like him, so I'm sticking. Yeah, with over I, I like
2: Jason as well. But either way, spot track has Justin Pugh at like five point five million AAV, which I don't see. I, I, don't, I don't think see it it'll happen either. No. Yeah. With all the no, injuries. Like, who the hell is giving Justin Pugh that much money at, at the age
1: three? Yeah, with no. the injury history. I don't see it,
2: but again, veteran
1: incentive, sure. But that's probably the only way I'm interested in bringing Pew back. Yep. Agreed. All right. That was a lot. That's all we have for today's podcast. Big blue banter. Keep it locked and loaded. Like we said, we're going to finish off with our final draft uh, players from this draft in the UDFA's final draft review uh, part three coming next week. Also going to do some breakdowns on the Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley situation. And then by that point, once we roll through all that, We'll be very close to the combine. So there'll be content around the combine, draft stuff. We'll then inch closer to free agency, where there's going to be content around that. And then after that, we're going to dive into the thick and heavy draft season, draft profiles, draft guests, content, top five at positions, all the stuff we got, we gave you last year. I think this year, the yeah, early idea will probably be that we start to do more profiles earlier on um, in these last final weeks of February, maybe before the combine, maybe in that week, after the combine where free still is like 10 days ish away um but we'll just play it by ear because the giants could have a lot of news coming out by that point we could have two new coordinators that come in as well that we have to d- discuss and break down too so we'll see what happens there anyway keep it locked and loaded have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon